Time to discuss the headlines of what's going on in the world of business and finance with Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. Good to see you in our Admiralty studio. Well, good to see you both in our Admiralty studio, because also we have Mark Franklin, Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager of Multi-Asset Solutions, Manulife Investment Management. Mark, you must have a very long name card to fit all of that on. (laughs) It's perfectly formed. Okay, that's good to know. Anyway, I want to start by discussing my birth country, the UK. What are your thoughts on UK inflation and the UK economy in general, which appears to be performing worse than other European economies? Now, I'm what's called a Ramona, so I blame the Brexit. But what are your thoughts, Mark? The UK, like many other Western economies, has an inflation problem. Uh, The causes of those problems are consistent across many of those economies, namely an energy crisis coming off the back of the the Russian invasion of Ukraine, a food price issue. Uh, The UK imports the vast majority of its agricultural products. You've also got demographic trends, which has led to a decline in the available supply of labour as a result of people taking early retirement, long-term sickness and so on. There's an exacerbating factor in the case of the UK. So it's not a cause, but it exacerbates the underlying problem, which is Brexit, because we've seen a reduction in the available and abundance of supply of labour in more manual areas, such as agricultural, uh, food picking, packaging. And those those critical labour inputs are important in keeping the cost of production down. So the UK faces um, a problem akin to others, but it's exacerbated. And in addition to that as well, in effect, now with the benefit of hindsight, we see pretty much an egregious policy failure by both governments and central banks to anticipate the inflationary impact of the stimulus that went in both during and post-COVID which has been effectively a huge um, support for for the demand side as well as some of the supply side disruptions that we've seen. Yeah, because when you were mentioning there, Mark, some of the issues like Ukraine, most of the foods imported, demographic issues, that's not uncommon amongst other countries. But is the UK suffering worst from those? On on a proportionate basis, the UK imports more of its foodstuffs relative to other European economies, taking that as a comparator. In addition to that as well, if you look at the the, the solidity of the energy and the power generation uh, grid capacity in the UK, the underinvestment theme is particularly pronounced there. And the UK also doesn't have the same share of power generation coming from nuclear plants that, say, France has. As a result, it was more susceptible in the early days from the surge in gas prices and gas availability in the immediate aftermath of the invasion. Alex, anything to add on to that? And what would you do if you were the UK Prime Minister? I think, first of all, I, I would like to add is that uh, we, we we probably uh, have some banking problems uh, emerging from the UK because uh, the um, interest rate has gone so much higher. And then banks, are, are I think uh, the people actually have uh, need to face uh, the increase in interest rates in the mortgages uh, soon. So I think uh, that is another area which may add to the problems in the UK right now. Um, and in the meantime, I think uh, there's probably... The, not, not, not much to do, probably to try to in, uh, uh, get more in, um, immigrants. I think that, that probably would be the uh, long-term solution for some of the problems. Okay, so to solve the demographic issue, maybe allowing more immigrants, which kind of goes against a lot of the current government's policy. 
Yeah, I think uh, first uh, many Hong Kong people actually are in, in in the UK right now already. So probably they they need to try to increase more to to compensate the loss of uh, labors from the Eastern Europe in, before. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting, Alex. There you mentioned the central bank and the interest rate because central banks have a lot of influence over economies, so are under a lot of pressure to get things right. And last week, the Bank of England boss had to deny trying to create a slump after putting up interest by more than expected. What are your thoughts, Mark, on the relative performance, good and bad, of central banks over the last few months? Not not just the UK, but central banks in general. If, if I may generalise, you can actually put a very clear dividing line between developed market central banks and emerging market central banks. A number of emerging market central banks have done a pretty good job of anticipating the the surge in inflation that we've seen globally and getting nominal interest rates up to a point where real rates are positive, which then gives them policy flexibility when inflation starts to cool, but it also builds credibility, which keeps currency stable. By contrast, a number of the major developed market central banks have a pretty poor report card, not so much in the last few months, but over the last two to three years. And it's the uh, inability to understand the consequences of the combined surge in, in monetary and fiscal stimulus, again, during and post-COVID, that has led us up to this point. You know, one intervention by the Governor of the Bank of England, which is particularly unhelpful, is the idea of trying to discourage workers from uh, requesting uh, bigger wage increases in order to cope with the cost of living situation. But actually, if you look at real wages in the UK, they've been suppressed for the last 15 plus years. And this is effectively a catch up attempt by, by Labour in order to gain back the, the, the real wage loss of momentum that they've seen. Uh, what do you have to add to that, Alex? Uh, nothing too much, I think. Uh, I think that the central banks in 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 the in US actually is a little bit slow and 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 lost some credibility during the last two years. That's I think I think uh, the the issue, um, and because because people look uh, towards the Fed, so I think that is uh, something quite disappointed uh, from the from the market. I think. Okay, now when when you look at what's happening so mortgage rates are going up and wage increases are being controlled i think particularly in the uk now that's really unpopular i would think uh so is is it quite brave of the government to persist with that strategy because you know there's an election coming up next year uh, Mark? Well, actually, wage growth in the UK is, is pretty firm right now. It's running about 7 to 8%. So there isn't actually much success in trying to hold that back. But that creates uh, effects of what we call a wage price spiral, where price increases drive higher wage demands, and then you, you exceed to those demands, and that feeds another round of, of price increases. So ultimately, um, it, people that are in employment in the UK are able to effectively keep their purchasing power relatively stable if they're able to secure these mid-to-high single-digit wage increases. But, but one of the things that the UK government has started to do, but will need to continue to persist with, is, is fiscal um, rectitude. Because the, the fiscal deficits were particularly wide in 2020 and 2021. In order to keep the demand side quelled, uh, they're, they're going to have to run pretty tight fiscal deficits at the same time as monetary policy is very restrictive. So it's somewhat unavoidable that there'll be an economic slowdown uh, as a means to try and contain this, this wage price spiral, which is now emerging in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess governments and banks are in a pretty hard place at the moment because I believe the challenges we're in now are unique post-World War II. 
Um, it's the first time that across much of the world a surge in inflation has coexisted with widespread financial vulnerabilities. So it's not as if we can try and look back to history to get any clues on what's going on. Anyway, let's move on to China now. Today, there was yet more data indicating a slowing China economic recovery with S&P cutting its forecast. Has China got long COVID particularly badly? Or is it really performing in line with other economies' recoveries after they ended their COVID restrictions? Um, Alex? I think uh, the real disappointment is the uh, consumer spending. And I think uh, that probably is a long-term structural change. I think people have uh, changed their spending habit after COVID, probably. So uh, we are seeing weak uh, demands from consumer. And also, I think uh, China is facing uh, bigger problems than other countries because of the relocation of uh, manufacturing facilities by many um, MNC. So I think uh, that is uh, the additional problems that China is facing right now. And probably we may see that to persist. And, uh, and you can witness that from the continued decline in the PPI. I think uh, that is uh, something which is quite bad. So, Alex, you say consumer spending has gone down, probably more than expected in China. Um, and relative to other economies, uh, again, it, it's, it's gone down more in No, comparison. no, I think it's uh, versus the expected uh, pickup. Uh, the pickup actually is much weaker than expected. That's yeah. what I mean, yeah. Oh, okay. So the, 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 the pickup was slower than expected and slower than other economies after they withdrew their restrictions for COVID? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. because uh, because I think uh, the ch- Chinese actually has uh, changed their habit, and they probably are facing uh, more problems because of the uh, slump in the uh, public real estate market, yeah. and also uh, youth are quite difficult to find jobs right now. Okay, so um, what do you have to add to that, Mark? I would agree with Alex. I think that the the, the consumer spending recovery has started to stall somewhat. Um, There's a commonality with with, with Western economies where post the COVID restrictions, consumers are really focusing their spending on on experiences, on tourism, travel, less on goods consumption. And that's where China's also seen somewhat of a slowdown. In addition to that as well, not just um, businesses, but also households in some cases saw a a hit to their savings and to, to to their wealth as a result of COVID. And so there's also an element of caution in order to give the time necessary to to rebuild those savings, to rebuild that wealth. And that's why perhaps consumers are getting somewhat more cautious uh, on a look forward basis than the markets had had hitherto expected. And your thoughts of what can be done to make it better? It's a very good question. Uh, What you're going to need to do is is rebuild consumer and business confidence. Um, And that can be driven by a number of factors. It can be driven by foreign direct investment. It can be driven by creating uh, new economic drivers, whether it's special economic zones, areas for investment, uh, but also creating jobs, um, jobs created by both the public and the private sectors. As as Alex mentioned, there is somewhat of an elevated level of unemployment amongst the youth, amongst graduates. And obviously, they are the key future wealth creators for the economy. So in order to give them a good start to their professional careers, there needs to be jobs at the the beginning point. Any other thoughts from you on that, um, Alex, uh, of what you would do if you were running China? I think uh, the the, the real thing is to uh, try to boost the youth employment. So right Mm. now, actually, Mm. sentiments are quite bad. uh, And and I think uh, 
too many uh, companies are rich enough to allow the kid to stay at home, and that's, that's another problem, which I think the world is facing, but in China particularly. So, uh, so some encouragement for for the youth to 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 come out, and also I think they need to try to boost the birth rate. That uh, they probably need to get some incentives for families to 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 give birth. To, uh, that is another long-term issue. Okay, let's look on at the interesting news today that BlackRock CEO said he will no longer use the term ESG as it has become a political weapon in the US. What are your thoughts on this? And do you think this issue will travel to the rest of the world, Alex? I think uh, ESG probably has become a norm already. So uh, there's no point to mention too much because uh, many, um, probably all companies would comply sooner or, sooner or later. So that would become um, a, a very common practice and every company probably would have a high score on that. So uh, probably right now, if you still mention ESG, probably you are trying to get companies to do something. So I think that that's what I agree with uh, BlackRock. Okay. And how about you, Mark? Do you think, um, I mean, it seems to be very politicized in the US at the moment. Do you think that will start to become the same in Europe and Asia Pacific? Or do you think there's more of an openness in the rest of the world to ESG? If you take Europe, there was already a debate that started about a year ago about whether one should move away from a a combined term of ESG and actually focus on individual pillars, so environmental, social and governance. Uh, and, and that was already suggesting that, that maybe the, that the overall banner was becoming uh, less helpful rather than more helpful. I think that the overall banner is a bit like the BRICS uh, phenomenon. It became a, very much a focal point for, for marketing efforts, but the underlying drivers and needs to integrate some of these factors into investments remains critically important going forward. That's all we have time for. Thank you to my guests, Alex Wong and Mark Franklin. 